0: Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me once again today is Dr. Peter McCullough here to discuss some interesting developments we've been seeing. One specifically being discussed very recently is this FDA- apparent confirmation or how it's being discussed around the blood clot situation, something you're all very well versed on, something Dr. Peter McColl has made very clear up until now. So this is essentially them, in, a, in an interesting way, acknowledging while disputing the very clear thing the science has already been proving, as well as some censorship and some other discussion points we're going to have. So thank you once again for joining me. How are you today? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, let's start off with, I wanted to ask you an interesting question about, I saw you had a great interview with Dr. Seemal Holtra. And I'm really glad to see you guys connect. I th- you know, talking about doctors on different, you know, different locations in the world are coming to the same conclusions, and I think that's important to understand. So, can you touch on, you know, that discussion between the two of you guys, and really just the, you know, what it's been like in your position to come from, you know, maintaining the truth that you're seeing in front of you, and how that suddenly became conspiracy theory throughout your process and all this. You know, you know
1: myself and a UK cardiologist Dr. Malhotra. Uh, while we had been interacting, communicating for over a year, uh, we arrived at the same conclusions from different points of view. We've both concluded the vaccine should all be pulled off the market now. Sadly, he's lost his father, a prominent physician, due to the vaccine and has felt the bite of that uh, in his own personal life. But even now, the FDA admits that Pfizer caused blood clots previously, AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson implicated blood clots Many, many papers in the peer-reviewed literature on blood clots, both arterial and venous, prominent figure after prominent figure suffering blood clots after the vaccines with the COVID-19 respiratory illness, and commonly both, including in that list, Herb Kirkstreet, uh, ESPN announcer, Al Roker, Weatherman, mm-hmm. uh, Dion Sanders, former NFL football player and baseball player. And the list goes on and on. The blood clots are serious, and they can be fatal. Uh, large blood clots are being removed from uh, corpses. People have died both due to the vaccine and the respiratory illness the The spike protein is found in the blood clots. These large ones you see on t v almost certainly form post mortem but I am seeing mm. them in my clinical practice. They take a long time to resolve on blood thinners
0: mm-hmm. well in in regard to the the point about the fda blood clot issue can you can you elaborate on It's interesting because it seems as if the study is very clear about the increased risk, yet they come to a very weird conclusion. And I know we've seen this a lot where the conclusion essentially doesn't always match what the science actually shows. But can you explain that to me and how you perceive that? Like, I mean, are they coming right out and saying this does happen? Or are they seem like muddying the waters with their conclusion about what the science shows?
1: Well, FDA, don't forget, is sponsoring the vaccine program with the CDC. So they have not provided clean analyses or inferences on safety at all. They're almost not trustable on safety at this point. But they point out in one of the Pfizer data sets, an increased risk for the development of venous thrombosis. But uh, the the literature is far beyond the FDA. The spike protein produced from the genetic vaccines is physically found in the blood clots, Ryan. It's clear. It's physically in the blood clots. The, The blood clots are large and they're growing and they certainly are threatening for those at risk for blood clots. Any patient who has an inherited blood clotting disorder or is on supplemental estrogens or is smoking obese or is immobilized, they're at risk for blood clots after
0: taking one of these vaccines. Yeah, see, that's one thing we're seeing a lot and a lot and most all the research is showing now is that these, this it very clearly has its areas of risk. But would you agree it's a fair statement to, to argue that this seemingly has a way of exacerbating most problems that the body has?
1: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. We see that in heart disease, for instance, if patients have uh, prior myocardial disease, prior coronary disease, that's what happened with Mount Hocha's father. He had progression of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Now, well shown with um, with the vaccines. Another area of concern is blood pressure. Those hmm. with baseline hypertension having their blood pressure shoot up can causing hypertensive
0: emergency, intracranial hemorrhage, or stroke. Hmm. Well, how does this overlap in your mind with the conversation of the collapsing athletes or really just any collapsing conversation? Because that was really aggressively pushed down and really still is at this point. So are you, I mean, I know you guys have said that you feel there's an overlap there, but how, to what degree? And, and can you elaborate on that whole top process? We,
1: we have more data on this. A recent um, a paper by Schwab and colleagues from University of Heidelberg studied people found dead at home after the vaccine, within 20 days of taking the vaccine there, 71% of people had a clear-cut vaccine-induced problem that was the cause of death, the proximate cause of death. There, myocarditis or heart damage, we know from two studies, Mansugian and colleagues in Bangkok, Thailand, and Les Pesic from Basel, Switzerland, have both shown that about 2.5% of people sustain heart damage with the vaccines, about half of it's asymptomatic, A small scar is formed in the heart. And then months later, there can be an arrhythmic cardiac arrest. The two periods of time where it happens is between 3 and 6 a.m. And during sports, there a trigger of adrenaline seems to trigger the sudden death event. And we've seen public figure after public figure die of sudden cardiac death
0: after taking the vaccines. Most recently, Irene Cara, who uh, sang the Flashdance song. It really is shocking to see how many, I mean, you could obviously argue that we're focusing more on it today, but it's unprecedented to see just the people collapsing on live TV shows and live broadcasts just right in front of us. So it's unprecedentedly obvious that there is something increasing, but so do do you know what they argue is, is there any justification about why this is happening right now, or is this just kind of an undefined problem in the mainstream conversation? There's complete silence in the mainstream conversation, the typical Uh, eulogy
1: says uh, that they died of unknown causes and that they're greatly missed. Um, But the families could come out and help us. If they have not taken the vaccines, they could clearly clear it up and say, listen, there's no vaccine involved. But Dr. Malhotra and I have said, for the next person who dies suddenly, unless the family comes out and tells us it's not the vaccine, it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. We have now incontrovertible data that both subclinical myocarditis and fatal blood clots are the proximate cause of death.
0: Hmm. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm glad you guys put that post out in general about you know calling on the families to be honest about this and be clear because there's a lot of pressure there and it's they're being scared. But I think it's obviously very important that people talk about their personal experiences with their families, their neighbors on broadcasts like this. It's, it's absolutely paramount. But so what do you say that somebody in this position should be doing, right? So we know that this is a problem. We know that there's a lot of obvious peer-reviewed science showing Let's talk with the spike protein first. Like, so, is there something that somebody could do to, I guess, lessen the the chance? Let's say, let's say they get one shot and they stop because they watched your information. What should they do to lessen the issue or the potential for the blood clot?
1: We know that uh, from CDC COVID tracker information, eighty seven percent of people are doing the right thing. They're not taking any more of these shots. Mm-hmm. America has had it with these shots. Uh, a similar number has been reported from the recent Kaiser Family foundation survey. Uh, So the right thing is certainly not to take any more shots. Uh, Those who have chest symptoms, chest pain, difficulty breathing, uh, they should seek evaluation. Uh, Both blood clots uh, and myocarditis can cause chest pain, difficulty breathing. The diagnostic evaluation is separate for those two entities. I can tell you as a cardiologist, I've never seen so many blood clots in cases of myocarditis in my career. I only saw a handful of cases of myocarditis before COVID vaccination. Now, now the definitive tests include blood tests, EKG, echocardiogram and cardiac MRI. It's a big deal. Uh, We know that the cardiac um, MRI is conclusive, but it's an expensive test and should be uh, ordered if clinically driven. There's no way to get the spike protein or the genetic material out of the body that we can see at this point in time. Uh, We just advise people to be prudent and be in touch with their symptoms.
0: Well, do you have any insight? Uh, Is it the same thing? Then I guess that includes the lipid nanoparticles and the mRNA instructions. So all of that in general, the goal is just no more. Stop taking the injections.
1: Yeah, the goal is no more, uh, and and we need urgently need research. You know, with the uh, uh, issue of tobacco causing lung cancer and a variety of uh, cancers, in the end, there was a big tobacco settlement, and the tobacco manufacturers had to pay for uh, lung cancer research. I think we're going to be left with the same thing. The vaccine manufacturers will have to pay for vaccine injury research. Governor Ron DeSantis recently announced grand jury proceedings uh, against those uh, who have committed wrongdoing. And this would be the vaccine manufacturers largely for not providing informed consent uh, for, in a sense, fraudulently presenting these products as being safe and effective when they're not. Uh, The government agencies have been complicit. They'll also Uh be called in. Uh,
0: But people are calling for justice at this point in time. Something, I have a hard time accepting that as a, as a, I mean, it's a positive step, but the idea that the very people who I argue you could prove are at least to some degree aware of the problem and yet not making that clear to then pay for the similar research, I, I would immediately be skeptical of the research and its outcome. You know, so it's very hard to think that as a positive step. Do you see another angle from this? I mean, do you feel that there's some real accountability coming from the people like you speaking up about this or, or you know, how do you perceive that right now?
1: Well, the most direct uh, accountability would be forms of compensation. We know for in-hospital care, for instance, the atrocities there, there are class action lawsuits that are welling up. A big one in California, hundreds of families, lead attorney Watkins, and it has to do with substandard in-hospital care, uh, you know, lack of use of uh, appropriately uh, repurposed oral generic drugs, the use of remdesivir against WHO contraindications, all of these coming up. In terms of vaccine injuries, There is a vaccine injury compensation fund. I think people will be seeking larger awards. Even Mm -hmm. though there's indemnification for vaccines, uh, if the vaccine manufacturers and the federal agency have defrauded Americans, that liability shield may be lifted. There may be direct compensation. Research can always be brokered through independent Mm -hmm. agencies where there's Mm -hmm. unrestricted grants. Uh, Remember, it's all federal dollars who went to the vaccine companies and then from there it flowed to the biodefense contractors who make the vaccines, all that money can flow back to Americans now who've been injured and damaged.
0: I'm glad you said that. Actually, I was thinking about the same point in the other day in a show about whether The like essentially now that it's been there's the approved versions on the shelf and then there's the added to the childhood schedule that you can argue that they are kind of immune from prosecution. But if they committed fraud in that process, there must be a loophole there, I would argue. So that's, you know, a a ray of hope, I would argue, that we could get around that. Um, Do you do you as a cardiologist yourself, do you not think it's shocking How few people in your field have been speaking up about this? I mean, it must be as equally obvious to them as it is to you with seeing that many patients with myocarditis. I've been shocked with how effective the government bribe was.
1: We learned in 2021 the COVID Community Core Program, which was a massively funded, multi billion dollar White House and HHS funded program, had dollars freely flowing to all the uh, physician societies, the medical colleges, Hollywood, the NFL. Black and Hispanic groups and churches, they're all complicit now. This was a massive government bribe. In -hmm. fact, money went to the pediatric societies before the pediatric studies were even done. Money flowed to the College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, even though those patients were excluded from vaccine studies. Mm -hmm. This is complete and total malfeasance by the White House and the Department of Health and Human Services. Billions of dollars bought influence and it worked.
0: Wow, I mean so that's a really a really big statement really. So you're what you're saying is that the funding for this was being done in the areas where the problem later arose. So I mean you it's hard not to see that as foreknowledge of the exact thing that they're now trying to say isn't happening, right? It's all in the website. Look up COVID Community Core and see where the money went. Mm. Uh, and it's a
1: staggering amount of money. It could be greater than 13 billion dollars of American uh, money literally flowed to promote COVID vaccines before uh, the full vetting of uh, clinical data and certainly before the emergence of safety data. Hmm. So to this day, I think the reason why doctors promote the vaccine so hard is because, A, they took them, and B, Hmm. the money is behind these vaccines,
0: Right, right. Well, since we bring that up in general, I know you've done a lot of really good work around ivermectin specifically and so on. And I, I, I highly recommend anybody who's truly interested to check out your your work on this exact topic. But could you give us a quick breakdown on what the person in this position, like let's say you think you might be sick, should be doing in, in, as opposed to go wait till you get extra sick and come back and let us know kind of a situation, you know, the way the hospitals are engaging with it?
1: The first update I have is uh, is to assess, is this the first, second, or third illness? If it's the first illness, then we think uh, the full treatment measures like McCullough Protocol are warranted. Mm. But if it's the second or third illness now, is characteristically mild. A recent paper by Chen and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine, October of 2022, showed if it's the second or third infection, there's a negligible risk of hospitalization and death. And it doesn't matter if you took a vaccine or not. So the second or third infection is simply over-the-counter like any other cold But the first infection, high-risk person, uh, we do recommend virucidal nasal washes, dilute povidone iodine, dilute hydrogen peroxide, sprays, spray it up, sniff it back, spit it out. Got to kill the virus up in the nose. Can't rely on pills or IVs for that. Using oral nutraceuticals and supplements, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, over-the-counter famotidine, over-the-counter aspirin. Then after that, we can use the oral antivirals, but they are largely de-emphasized now. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, pexlovid molnipiravir. Mm-hmm. I think prednisone or steroids play a bigger role, colchicine, and then we're on to anticoagulants. Doctors can do this. There are established protocols. I mentioned the McCullough protocol, FLCC, and others. Uh, there are worldwide protocols, by the way, that use no mm-hmm. ivermectin, no hydroxychloroquine, and they're perfectly fine.
0: Interesting. Well, so you mentioned the third illness. That's an interesting statement. Are, are you saying? So we're talking about people who got sick with COVID-19 and got sick again with COVID-19. Okay, so that's interesting. So do you think there's a factor in there? Well, I guess let me phrase it this way. If they're getting sick repeatedly, or do you know whether those are people that have already had an injection in that process, or are you seeing people get repeatedly sick who never got an injection?
1: Well, most have taken the vaccines, don't forget, in the United States. The CDC says 87% of people took them. So, mm. So being injected means almost everybody... And you're right. They are the people who are getting multiple infections. The unvaccinated, by the way, look terrific in every analysis. Mm-hmm. Lowest risk of other illnesses, fit and strong. People who didn't take the vaccine, they didn't take it for a reason. And boy, is it showing up. They're looking great. But those who have taken the vaccine. They certainly can get it multiple times. Uh, the virus is mutating, is becoming more mild. The current bivalent boosters now are already theoretically out of date, they were targeted in b a four b a five that 's gone away now it 's now bq one and b q one point one
0: interesting well i 'd like you to for, if you could elaborate on on wh- why you say that about the unvaccinated being better but so just to find your point on that, I find this really fascinating. So do you think this is an immunity issue where I guess what is your opinion on natural immunity in regard to covid nineteen and then do you think it 's the injection that 's stopping that from being effective, and that 's why they 're getting it repeatedly?
1: It's possible. I mean, don't forget, there's a lot of selection bias. Many people who d- who didn't take the vaccines were younger, fitter, stronger. They already yeah. had COVID early on. So there's a lot of factors that could make them look better. Uh, we know in analyses from Canada, the UK, South Africa, Australia, uh, the the you know greater numbers of those hospitalized and dying. Sadly, are those fully vaccinated? Now that's been reported in the United States. So seems to be universal. Mm. Uh, there are several papers, one by Wheatley and colleagues, 2021, that's notable, suggesting the more shots we take, uh, the more the immune system is being taxed with this spike protein and less effective. Uh, and it, has, it's not, it doesn't have the alacrity in order to fend off other infections. and may be explaining why we're seeing uh, rises in respiratory syncytial virus, influenza, and others. uh, It's clear taking genetic material coding for ancestral Wuhan spike protein has not helped the immune system at all. And these long lasting injections certainly cause harm.
0: So in regard to the unvaccinated appearing to be more healthy, can you elaborate on that? Because I'm sure everyone's very interested in that because that's a common point being made right now about the contrast. I mean, really the people that are unvaccinated today are a control group in the world. So in your experience, can you elaborate on what you're seeing there?
1: Well, what we're seeing is they tend to be younger, uh, fitter, uh, with less medical problems. That's for sure. Uh, We do know that they, from a scientific perspective, they have the full cellular and mucosal immunity. Many have had the natural infection. So that means IGA and cellular immunity in the sinuses. It is a a nose infection. People know that the, the swab has to go up in the nose. So we need the defenses there. The vaccine's a shot in the arm. Uh, doesn't do anything for protection in the nose. There's papers by Chow, by uh, uh, Rimerizma, Acharian, Acorsi, all showing that COVID-19 vaccination does nothing for nasal protection against COVID-19.
0: That's interesting you say that. uh, Dr. Bhakti has been really outspoken about this in general, Really early in this conversation, and let me know if you agree with this in the broad sense, that he argues that most injections, historically to this point, aren't are, and can't be effective because they don't. He argues you can't essentially cause mucosal immunity by injecting something in the arm. Can you? How do you feel about that? That, that seems I, to throw I, into question all of these past vaccinations.
1: Right. I agree with that. I interviewed for my show a vaccine developer, Hamid Merchant, who's someone who really promotes vaccines in the UK. And he said the only vaccines that provide any nasal mucosal immunity are the nasal mist vaccines. There's been mm-hmm. a few flu mist vaccines. He said that would have been the only hope for COVID-19. So sh- shots in the arm provide some systemic protection, let's say from polio or uh, a serious you know, intramuscular tetanus infection. But they don't provide any hope. For protection in the nose or the nasopharynx, Uh, the the pneumococcal vaccine, as an example, the 13-valent pneumococcal vaccine, its published vaccine efficacy against pneumococcal hospitalization or death is 9%, statistically (laughs) insignificant from zero. Same thing with influenza vaccine, paper by Chun and colleagues, MMWR in 2022. Current flu vaccine efficacy twenty two percent statistically insignificant sixteen percent statistically insignificant from zero. Remember, we need vaccine efficacy at least fifty percent; otherwise, it's a no go on these vaccines.
0: Yeah, well, so I guess the point would be that respiratory viruses specifically, a shot in the arm, is is not that's meaningless in regard to what will
1: do. It's a poorly conceived idea from the very beginning. (laughs) You know, I published that in August of twenty twenty in the Hill. Uh, in a, a an op ed that about the great gamble of the covid nineteen vaccine development program it 's a gamble there 's never been a shot in the arm that 's ever stopped anything in the nose never happened
0: and they and they know this i mean that's that 's what bhakti was saying all the way back then that he 's so upset and it changed his perspective of the entire field because he knew that they knew that and still promoted it it 's very interesting uh, you you mentioned flu mist. That's an interesting overlap with we see the strep A conversation rising right now. And there's a a lot of very clear peer-reviewed science that shows at least the potential for that itself to increase the risk of strep A. Do you think there's an overlap there with the the use of these flu mist and and nasal flu sprays that were administered before that discussion rose up? Just your, your opinion?
1: We'd have to have data that, in fact, let's say a child received a flu mist vaccine And then got a later on developed in that same child, a group A strep infection, which by the way, is easily treated with penicillin or amoxicillin. So group A strep is not a big deal Mm -hmm. um, to see if there's a direct linkage. I think right now America has been spooked. So you hear a few cases about group A strep. I mean, come on to do a strep test, uh, you know, and have somebody who's positive strep positive and treat them. That's an everyday occurrence in urgent care.
0: Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I tend to, Personally, feel it's a little more nefarious at some level because it's kind of trying to keep people in a state of fear. That's my personal right. opinion, but right. I, you're right. Ultimately, it's it's something that I do think there are average people that are just genuinely scared by what the the hype and then overreacting to So, in general, it's interesting that the, the we see this discussion and then let's we'll talk about censorship. I want to ask you about the DNA port last. We've talked about briefly on AM Wake Up the other day in how. This has been an evolving conversation around this that I think you you pulled out of it a long time ago in whether or not this is in fact actually either changing or or integrating with your DNA and then what that would actually mean going forward, you know, different than the things circulating your bloodstream. So one, is that something you feel is absolute at this point that this is hap- this is changing your DNA? And then what would that really mean going forward in your perspective?
1: There's one paper, Alden and colleagues, senior author, um, Yang D. uh is the last author. Uh, there, the, the Swedish group did show integration of Pfizer, the code for Pfizer into human DNA, uh, a central reporting part called the Amplicon. Almost certainly the entire code is installed. Uh, we know the spike protein is very close to the nucleus. Uh, I've shown that. Multiple studies have shown that. Uh, I showed that in my Substack recently, it doesn't matter if, if it's exactly in chromatin or in the nucleus. It's almost a certainty now that, uh, that parent cells are transmitting the code for Pfizer and Moderna to daughter cells. Almost certainly that's happening egg and sperm together in the embryo and then in other t- tissues that are, you know, the cells are differentiating. This is disturbing. The fact that the, the genetic code does not get out of the human body. Rothkin and colleagues from Stanford showed in cell the messenger RNA is not being digested and going away; it's it's hmm. permanently staying in lymph nodes. Yeah, it's
0: very very alarming, and I'm sure a lot of people will be scared. But it's important to hear that so we understand. Actually, one more thing I, I wanted to get your t- your your take on in is in regard to the blood discussion that's very prominent right now, right? And I think we did mention this again on AM Wake Up, but the idea of the specifically the transfusion for that child and whether there's a risk there. And I mean, I personally, I think it's all but proven that there is a the evidence of these things being in the blood and that alone should be enough to at least question that. But do you feel that there, what do you think should be the step forward with the way that with what's present in the blood and with blood transfusion specifically? I think it's too late. I was a part of a
1: group that warned, that warned the American Association of Clinical Blood Banking, the American Red Cross early in 2021. We were concerned Uh, they weren't asking about vaccination in blood donors Uh, You know, it's water under the bridge at this point in time. The blood banking industry is a big industry. Eighty seven percent of people have taken these vaccines. Uh, It's almost a certainty that the blood supply is changed. Fortunately, there are no severe proven reactions. uh, Vaccine uh, induced blood transfusion reactions where spike protein or messenger RNA has been implicated. But we'll certainly, you know, keep our eyes on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recognize it's a concern. It's, it's just not, it's a concern that doesn't have any practical solution.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And yeah, and I would agree that these are st- this is still being fleshed out. But there are potential cases that are being discussed as possibly being because of that. Which you know, I I agree. You're, you're right. We should always be wait for, for the evidence and the proof of something before we jump to conclusions. But it's very concerning to see that it, there's at least examples of people thinking it's already happened where a baby has died in this process, and now we have baby Will in New Zealand who just got forced to take that. The transfusion. And so it's just, it's an alarming reality where we know that there is high potential for problems and seemingly no concern there. I, I guess the last point on COVID 19 in general or the vaccines related is, you know, it's the way I even titled this today, it's as far as I'm concerned, this has been collapsed. The narrative has been exposed. It's obvious that there at some level is a willful ignorance in regard to the dangers of the injections. And yet it continues. Right. Even more, not just continues, but now we see them pushing even harder over the top of it. The White House saying you need to get this next shot. Like one, I I guess it's your opinion on how to explain that. But I guess, two, what do we do in this this situation? Right. So I think it's clear that it's exposed, but it continues. Right. What do you think? I feel like I'm the last American vagabond
1: wandering out there in the wilderness, uh, you know, wondering what's happened to the world. Mm -hmm. The bivalent vaccines weren't even tested in humans. They failed in animals. The most Hmm. recent dossier for pediatric vaccination with the bivalent boosters, the FDA only had it in their hands for three days. Hmm. At this point in time, it's off the rails. Those promoting the vaccines have have become unmoored. Uh, The vaccines are not safe for human use. They should be pulled off the market. Hmm. We should give up this hopeful love affair that the vaccines were going to end the pandemic. They clearly have failed. We need to stop the mandates, stop the vaccines begin a vaccine injury research and
0: close out the pandemic. Absolutely. Well said. And I agree completely. I've only got you for a few more minutes. So you want to talk about censorship and Twitter. I think you and I, you, we got them back similar times. I I don't know if you know, I just got my large account back, which is nice to see. Um, And we also did briefly talk about this as well. And so give us your thoughts on where this is going. Uh, You know, the censorship on Twitter and elsewhere. And, and, you know, do you think, do you, do you feel it's going to get better with what's just happened on Twitter specifically and, and in general?
1: What a series of developments we've learned through America First Legal, as well as uh, data right. dumps and, and frequent messaging from Elon Musk that the FBI had agents assigned to Twitter, regular communications. So did the CDC. They were manipulating our accounts, mm. trying to manipulate messages, ma- manipulating things regarding elections and then into Covid nineteen. It's almost as if Twitter was a direct extension of some type of government deep state. This is not looking good at all for multiple government agencies. Not looking mm-hmm. good for tw- Twitter executives uh, like you. I had a large account. People who followed me were largely doctors, and I, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I tweeted out uh, graphical abstracts. I followed all the community rules. Uh, all my all my data and summaries, just like today, were within the bounds of the published literature. No hyperbole no right. exaggeration. Uh, fortunately, I was restored. And, and I think the effects of these unfollow programs and blacklisting and shadow banning were really uh, tremendously dragging down my followers. My followers are exploding. I bet yours are too. Hmm. Let's hope that this uncensored Twitter environment continues. I've gotten strong on True Social, Getter, uh, Telegram. I've started a, a, pot, a um Substack, courageous discourse. Right. Uh, so, so this whole Twitter uh, imprisonment that we've had in many ways has has made independent media even stronger.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, actually. And I, I'm glad to see you take a positive perspective on this. I mean, me, personally, I'm, 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 I'm on the fence about whether I feel Twitter's going in the right direction. There seems to be a little bit of teeter-tottering going on, but it's great to see that you're back. I mean, that you and, and Malone specifically were two people that I said, you know, I'm not going to... I'm going to hold out judgment until I see that. And, and, you know, good steps are happening. I'm glad to get mine back as well. But it's important that we maintain a positive perspective on this because I think it's impossible to miss right now that your work has has opened people's minds and and what you're doing. And we've reached people. I mean, I've never, previous to this situation, I've always thought people were you know we were some level it was getting through but i've never seen this level of of questioning and i think that's why it's getting so much more intense just in every possible way but specifically around the vaccine so it's just a positive sign and i think we need to lean into that and and take the wins where we can so thank you for continuing the work and and hopefully we can connect again in the future anything else you want to leave us with before we uh, end today and new upcoming work any tidbits of wisdom for us. <laughs>
1: I just ask everybody to check out my website. It's new and improved md.com. It'll take you everywhere. Thank you so much for having me on the program.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure Dr. McCullough, and I look forward to uh, your work in the future. So, as always everybody out there question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.